0: Hey guys, I just recently taught a yoga class at Mental Health Wellness for the Culture, which was a wellness conference centered around providing education and tools for the black community from professionals in the field. There were mental health um, professionals, people who focused on anxiety and stress, those who had expertise in relationships, financial wellness, it was an amazing event. But at the end of the class, I was asked by the event founder and coordinator, Sierra Hillsman on whether or not there was any truth to night owls and morning larks. So is there any truth to people who go to sleep later and those who wake up early? I thought to myself, not only is this great for the podcast, but it's super important for everybody to know. So is it a myth? Is it really real? Is there any science to follow this whole night owl morning lark business? Let's find out. Hello. Greetings. Salutations. It is I, Kayla, your sleep fairy, delivering you sleep information you didn't ask for. Welcome. It is Lay with Kay. Um, And like I said, I'm here to deliver you sleep information you did not ask for. And today we are talking about morning larks and night owls. And if there is any truth or any science behind people who tend to fall asleep later in the day and those who just tend to wake up in the morning and they are ready to go. I want you all to think about just this fact, right? So oftentimes when people make claims to be night owls, they tell you that they fall asleep late. They still fall into the trappings of like what the normal work schedule is. So even though they might not fall asleep until maybe 12 or even 1130, some people even later, they still tend to wake up At maybe 6 a.m., they tend to wake up at 7 or 8 because they have to be at work by 9 or they have to get their kids ready and blah, blah, blah. And even though we don't necessarily think about that, just think about how all of us have these different myths and beliefs about our sleep and just how much sleep that we actually need. I say quite often that sleep deprivation is a public health issue because we don't really think about just. How detrimental it can be for those of us who tend to fall asleep late to constantly jerk ourselves out of bed um, and have a history of doing this, uh, where we are trying to, you know, do our jobs and get our kids to school and so on and so forth. So I looked at a few websites. So when I was asked this question about night owls and morning larks, it prompted me to look at what are some common myths around sleep. So I looked at sleepfoundation.org. I looked at WebMD. I looked at looked at sleep.com, all of these different sleep websites to understand what are some common myths about sleep that actually um, reveal a lot about night owls and morning larks. So here's a few for you. The first myth is that teens who fall asleep in the classroom are lazy as fuck. According to sleep experts, ten, teens need at least 8 to 10 hours of sleep each, each night compared to an average of 7 to 9 hours each night for most adults. The internal biological clocks also keep them their internal biological clocks also keep them awake later in the evening and keep them sleeping later in the morning. However, many schools begin classes early in the morning where a teenager's body wants to be asleep. As a result, many teens come to school too sleepy to learn through no fault of their own. So, again, think about yourself. If you consider yourself a night owl and you don't really fall asleep until maybe 1130 or even later later, think about how it is when you start to prepare yourself for work. We have normalized just a lack of um, alertness and acuity in the morning, so much so because we usually spark ourselves up with an energy drink or we grab that morning cup of coffee um, in an attempt to wake ourselves up. But what if you didn't have the influence of those substances and you just naturally allowed yourself to kind of function throughout the day without the influence of caffeine. I'm pretty sure you would have a huge, huge contrast to how you operate at work. If you're a night owl, you fall asleep late and then you have to wake up at 6 a.m. or even earlier to go through your whole morning routine to be at work by 8.30 or 9. And let's think about that as it relates to our kids ultimately we're doing the same thing without even giving them the option to wake themselves up with caffeine we, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a good thing to do that or to even start but to just think about it that way like if we we wake our teens up we ask them to go to school at this time even though they have been up on TikTok for you know the past couple of hours they haven't fallen asleep yet um and we're asking them to be productive and we're asking them to learn and absorb information at a time when their brain is literally still in a sleep state. It's tired, right? So, just thinking about that, that's um but like I said, it's a common myth that we really need to dispel. The second myth is someone who can fall asleep anywhere is a good is a sign of a good sleeper. Um you all have heard me say that sleep deprivation is a public health issue. So for our family and friends who fall asleep at the drop of a dime, it points more to the fact that their asses probably aren't getting enough sleep from jump. Last episode, I talked about the correlation of drowsiness and how it can be dangerous when you're driving. So you can see that if this, that how this, pro, how this can be normalized even though it really points to a problem right so someone who can fall asleep at the drop of a dime is probably not the person that you want to take long road trips with right (laughs) um you probably don't want them driving um because they're more than likely tired um And again, just thinking about it um, in a different kind of light rather than it being something like we praise where like, you know, you invited Uncle Bob to the barbecue and Uncle Bob is knocked out um, and all of this noise is around him, but he is just out like a light. And we're like, yay, Uncle Bob can just fall asleep anywhere. He's a great sleeper. No, Uncle Bob is tired AF. Like, that's what that is. And his brain has literally... Uh, created these electrical um, signals called sleep spindles to tune out all of the fuckery happening around him um, because the brain needs to do its thing to process memories, to um, consolidate all of the new information he might have taken in from the previous days. So rather, I mean, of course, leave that person, leave Uncle Bob alone and let him sleep. But... It's not something to be praised. You maybe should have a conversation with Uncle Bob when you hand him um, his plate of ribs and mashed potatoes and whatever else y'all fixed at your, your family outing. Ask him what his sleep routine is like and you know, start to maybe t- have the conversation about how he should invite more rest in his life. Third myth, it doesn't matter what time you choose to sleep. Of course, the more you sleep, the the more sleep you get, the better. But keep in mind that there are certain times, like after 3 p.m., that can lead to sleep disruptions when you should be resting at night. In an article on debunking sleep myths, Dr. Naveed Saleh states, night shift workers who typically get less sleep and have lower sleep quality than day workers are at higher risk for depression, diabetes, breast cancer, and all cause mortality. The last sentence prompted me to look at PubMed for some studies and there's quite a few looking at the implications of night shift work. There are some looking at the relationship of carcinogenicity, Jesus Christ. (laughs) There are some looking at the relationship of carcinogenicity, y'all, carcinogenicity, All right, I'm just gonna start over. So, okay, Dr. Naveed said, night shift workers who typically get less sleep and have lower sleep quality than day workers are at higher risk for depression, diabetes, breast cancer, and all-cause mortality. So, your girl looked up um, some studies on PubMed to look at the implications, the dangers of night shift work. And there are some looking at the relationship of carcinogenicity of night shift work. So if you're like, what the fuck is she trying to say? Um, You know the word carcinogen. Think about cigarettes and air pollutants. Um, That shit is real serious. Uh, But since we're in the age of COVID, I pulled up a study on night shift work and its health effects on nurses from a group of nurses for the Healthcare Manager Journal. The article mentions that hospitals employ more night shift workers than any other industry in the United States. Researchers have seen that night shift work can have negative impacts on a worker's physical, psychological, and psychosocial health, including effects on work performance. Nurses working a night shift have an increased risk of breast cancer, colorectal cancer, diabetes, compromised immunity, obesity, and disruptions in relationships with spouses and children. All of this in comparison is, all of this is in comparison to day shift workers, right? And maybe like you from previous episodes, you are starting to see the correlation because it's not, Obviously it's not just night shift, not just night shift workers that are um, affected by this, but it also opens up the door for all of us. I always go back to this Harvard study um, of the Greek people who stopped their siesta practice. Remember that those people, um, this is pe- these are people who they were studying who didn't have any history um, of negative cardiac cardiac health outcomes. They were six times more likely to develop it um, after they didn't practice that siesta. So again, like understanding some of the most important um, aspects of our biological reset are happening during sleep, and when we compromise our sleep for our work, we really open up the door to a slew of crap. Um, So like I said, this particular study is in comparison to day shift workers. So it's important to note that all of us have an internal clock with a 24-hour cycle, but when that clock rings the alarm to wake up and signals us to sleep, it varies for everybody. For some of us, wakefulness comes early in the morning as it does for their sleepiness. We all know someone who is an early riser or what we call a morning lark who wakes up at the ass crack of dawn and they're usually in bed before 9 p.m. In the book that I have been referencing since I started this podcast called Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker, he says that morning folks make up about 40% of the population and night owls make up 30%. Night owls wake up later in the day and go to bed later. If you're good at math and you're like, sis, that's only 70%. You mentioned 30 and 40, okay. There's another remaining 30% where that group falls in between morning and evening types with a slight gangsta lean towards later nights, like myself and the author of that phenomenal book, Dr. Walker, he wrote Why We Sleep. I recommend it, read it, get it, yeah. Anyway, if you are not into reading, then you have this podcast because I am referencing the shit out of that book. Anyway, so this brings me back to the very first myth of teenagers being classified as lazy because they fall asleep in class. But we really don't respect their natural sleep patterns. Like I mentioned before, you know your teenager is up on TikTok scrolling the Internet into the late hours of the night and they usually sleep later in the day. Fortunate enough, um, TikTok now has pop-ups that tell you to take a shower and grab water. Don't ask how I know that at 29. We will talk about that another time. Anyway, but this has less to do with their learning capacity and energy and everything to do with what their bodies are trying to do for them during this critical stage of development. Your teen may need a little bit of guidance when it comes to understanding their sleep rhythm but their brains are doing some important mapping during those long ass hours of rest which helps the neural connections responsible for learning retention and developing important areas of the brain like that prefrontal cortex which helps them with decision making so what what is all of this that you're saying Kayla leave your teens alone leave them the hell alone Right. Anyway, seriously though, like respect their pattern. The teen isn't a problem. It's our capitalist society that forces them to try and learn at a time of the morning when their brains simply are not in a wakeful state. It's like me waking you up at 3 a.m. and asking you to learn critical information. You would be livid and probably take your ass back to sleep, maybe even slam the door in my face, all of that. But Yeah, again, just thinking about it from, like, your own perspective and then juxtaposing that, you know, into how your teen has to operate and function in society. So for night owls, they, night owl adults, um... They are incapable of falling asleep, falling asleep mad early, no matter how hard they try. Like if you're a night owl and your normal sleep is doesn't your, your normal drowsiness doesn't come until 1030 or later. I can't really force you to go to sleep at six. It just won't happen. So ultimately, again, that's the same thing we're asking our teenagers to do. So respect, respect their pattern anyway. Um, yeah. So for night owl adults they're incapable of falling asleep mad early. Of course, if they fall asleep late, then they're not going to be excited about waking up early like our teens. Optimal functioning is dismal for night owls who have to subject themselves to early mornings. As we see in this nursing study, it can negatively impact work performance. The body is quote unquote awake, but their brain is literally check the fuck out. Sis is tired, sis is your brain. Remember that prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that helps with decision making, it's also the part of the brain research site as responsible for rationalization and making sense of the shit around you. So high-level executive functioning stuff. If you're a night owl and you're forced to wake up early, this area is logged the fuck out. Dr. Walker called it a disabled offline state, which means you can't be asking no important questions to a night owl when you've woken them up too early. They're not ready. Their brain has to wake up a little bit more. Again, we, we still use like coffee and all of these other like energy drinks to wake ourselves up, to force ourselves into this wakefulness. But what if we just respected what our natural rhythm is and chose to operate that way so we don't crash and burn later on? All right, anyway, so... The big question for this episode, it was, is this a myth? Is it a myth to be a night owl? Is it a myth to be a morning lark? And obviously, with this amount of science, you can infer that it's most certainly not. Surprise. (laughs) Early risers and night owls is strongly determined by genetics. Um, It's a chronotype. You probably inherited from your parents, so you can blame them. Kidding. Um, But seriously, though, if both parents are night owls, then you, my friend, are probably a night owl. Doesn't mean that you're lazy if you're a night owl. It's literally just genetics. And despite what some people may like to think, we ain't arguing with genetics and science around here. Trust the experts. I mean, they have gone thousands of dollars in debt to um, you know, share this information and study this information. They have also you know contributed a significant amount of time to school. You know, so I think we can trust them. Trust science. Yeah, that's that on that. Anyway, um, I blamed capitalist society for forcing kids to follow the same models we see in the workplace for adults. Obviously, the system is biased towards early risers who have no problem functioning early in the morning. Um, I literally just thought about that person in the morning with their coffee in hand, who's just chipper as a bird, while giving getting the side eye from coworkers who just wish they were still in bed. Like that's a real thing. Like you see that person in the office, and you're like, "Why are you so happy right now?" Like, like I'm struggling but there is scientific basis to this scenario. Society favors morning larks because most offices follow a nine to five schedule, some even earlier if you're a teacher starting class at 7.45 a.m. Think again back to the long-term implications of sleep deprivation and you'll understand how this is a problem for our night owls. As it relates to job performance, Dr. Walker mentions that as owl performance is less optimal in the morning, they are further prevented from expressing their true performance potential in the later afternoon and early evening as standard work hours in prior to its arrival. Owls, just like our night shift workers are more susceptible to ill health outcomes and I don't need to repeat the necessary scary illnesses I mentioned before. So just to repeat that, Owl performance is less optimal in the morning, and they are further prevented from expressing their true performance potential in the late afternoon and early evening as standard work hours end prior to the arrival of their true performance potential. That's huge, guys. Like, huge. Um, y- you know, you... You have to think about how, like, how impactful that can be um, for a person to empower themselves to know that, you know, it's not that I'm lazy, it's not that I am, I, I am incapable, but just simply like I feel more motivated, I am more um, on my game later on during the day than I am in the morning. And I think that's a a true um, conversation we need to start having um, because. Not only will it improve work performance and outcomes, um, but also maybe even add years on people's lives because they have less anxiety about the fact that they are not able to function well in the morning or it takes them a few hours to really get into their groove. So, again, like when you have normalized the fact that it takes you a few hours to kind of get in your rhythm, maybe like it's just better for you to work like at that peak time right like maybe it's just better for you to start to shift your schedule to that that space Um, so with all of this information what is it that we can do and I'm talking about like how we can start to shift our work schedule so there are some companies offering more flexible work schedules and opening up to later start times. so that's a huge huge plus Um, But it's a societal change that has to happen for organizations to recognize the long-term harm they're causing to employees who are night owls. You know my saying is your best self is your rested self, and the same is to be considered for all companies. Employees are better for business if you respect their sleep schedules. If you have agency over your schedule and being able to negotiate your start and end time, let your employer know and use the science in your favor. Dr. Walker mentions that companies like Nike and Google have adapted a more relaxed approach to work schedules, which allows them to choose hours, which allows employees to choose hours that match their individual circadian rhythms and their respective owl and lark chronotype nature. But what about those of us who can't negotiate schedules or know that their employees won't be open? Fuck that job. Nah, um, I'm playing. But seriously, though, again, the long term implications are entirely too expensive and you don't need to be putting yourself in the way of any harm for anybody else's pockets. Fuck that. Um, In any case, empower yourself by examining your own natural rhythm and pattern without the influence of caffeine. When is it that your body naturally starts to tap out? without the distraction of your phone or Netflix? Do you truly create time after work to actually unwind? At what point in your day are you taking caffeine? If it's after 12 p.m., stop that shit. Um, When you wake up after 11 a.m., do you feel like you can go back to sleep? All of these are questions you can use to improve your sleep routine. So again, ask yourself, when is it that your body naturally starts to tap out without the distraction of your phone or Netflix? I mentioned in the last episode that you can literally create a night shift on your phone and even on your computer um, where you can dim the brightness down. Um, the The other question was, do you truly create time after work to actually unwind? What is your sleep routine? How do you shift yourself from the grind of your workday to resting? You, and I think it's, it's so important for us to get more intentional about our sleep routines. Um, so h- can you start to play soft music, dim the lights down um, after your shower? Maybe you start to um, use more lavender oil. You spray your pillows with lavender. You um, maybe journal. Maybe you meditate. Uh, maybe you just sit in silence. All of these things, again, just being more intentional with our sleep routine so we can actually prepare ourselves for bed, not reading triggering news or triggering articles or looking at what's on Instagram that might create some feelings of insecurity, just removing those things and starting to shift and change your night routine around to actually unwind. And again, another question is, at what point in your day are you taking caffeine? After 12 p.m., stop. Like, it takes for a lot of us. It takes it. Caffeine has a pretty long half life, so it can take six to seven hours for caffeine to clear out of our system. So if you're taking it after twelve and wondering why the fuck you can't fall asleep, when you might actually feel tired, it's because you still have this caffeine reserved in the system. Um, another question, and this is directly from um, Dr. Walker, who wrote Why We Sleep, is when you wake up after 11 a.m., do you feel like you can go back to sleep? And if so, yeah, like maybe, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Again, think about it like, uh, um, you know, if, if you feel like you can go back to sleep at after 11 a.m. and imagining what your work day may look like. Like it might take you a good hour and a half to kind of just get get things going, get your brain waking up. So just considering all of this information and using it as a way to improve your sleep routine. Your sleep fair is here for you, honey. Um, I want you to go to sleep and wake up the best version of you each and every day. So that's exactly why I created this podcast. This is exactly why I'm having this conversation and I hope that's why you're listening, because, you know, we all can make some improvements. Um, and yeah, you know, so that's that on that, period. Uh, I will leave the article um, and all of the resources that I use for this particular episode in um, the show notes. Follow it on Instagram at K. But let's get into our unwinding and get into a bedtime story. So if you haven't already, just making your way to that comfortable space in your place. It could be a comfy chair, your couch, or a bed. Anywhere that makes you feel at ease at peace where you can find some quiet And once you've made your way there Just starting to close the eyes And if you're sitting maybe you turn your palms to face upward relax the shoulders letting the shoulder blades rest down And if you're in bed, turning the palms to face upward and thinking about lengthening the fingertips down towards the feet. Unhinging the jaw. And maybe just noticing the subtlety of the rise and fall of the shoulders, the chest as you're breathing in and out. And maybe you choose to take a deeper breath. Again, just noticing those subtleties and where it is that you can start to soften. If you're like me, just these past couple of weeks have been pretty busy, up and down, different things happening or everything seeming to happen all at once. But here and now we have an opportunity to settle, maybe even just absorb all of what we've been able to experience so far and choose to see it in a way where we understand that evolution is not linear, growth is not linear, all of it nonetheless is contributing to a more conscientious, a more intelligent version of who we are. So taking a deep breath in through your nose, fill up the belly and exhale to gently release. Wherever you are in your journey, just finding trust and knowing that you will get to the places that you need to go. And it's okay to be unsure. It's okay to be a little messy during this time. Eventually, it will all come together. Today I'm telling a story about a remarkable figure who we just lost recently. I hope you like it. Our story begins with a little boy with a big voice and a dream. Let's call him Small and Mighty. He was one of 10 kids growing up on a farm in Alabama with his Ma and Pa. There were lots of things to do on the farm, running through cornfields, helping with chores and tending to the crops. Small and Mighty was tasked with the chickens. He would make sure they were fed, fetch eggs when they needed them and keep their coops clean. Ma and Pa kept their children busy during the week and on Sundays attended the nearby church with the rest of folks in town. Small and Mighty was in awe of the way the Preacher Man captivated his audience, the way his voice rumbled and seemed to shake the wooden pews. The Preacher Man could make people clap their hands in glory, weep tears of joy, and stomp their feet with praise. Our Small and Mighty was inspired. He lived in a home with 11 other people. He needed a big voice, like the preacher man, to be heard. But his brothers and sisters weren't all that interested in what he had to say. Ma and Pa were entirely too busy, so he sought after a more attentive audience. He turned to his chickens. He was their spiritual guardian anyway. They depended on him. He baptized the newly born chicks, rescued them from the fate of Sunday dinner, presided over their funerals when the old ones were laid to rest. Day to day, it was the clucks of the hens and roosters serving the response he needed to preach his sermons in between his schoolwork and chores. Ma and Pa paid it no mind. They knew that their child was different. Small and mighty possessed strong determination. He would make sure his voice was heard, and he wouldn't let anyone stand in the way of it. Very admirable qualities for a young boy. Ma and Pa saved money from their earnings on the farm. They decided to pack up their children one day and visit the town. The town is where Small and Mighty learned that things were a lot different than they were on the farm. On the farm, there were other families with brown and black skin who helped one another. Small and Mighty could visit their homes, eat at their dinner tables, and play with their children without a problem. Town was different. Small and Mighty wasn't allowed to enter through any front doors. Ma and Pa were called boy and girl, even though they were adults. Small and Mighty's brothers and sisters were sneered at, and they couldn't sit down to have an ice cream. Ma and Pa wanted different for their children. They wanted to expand their horizons, but they said it was hard to do with everyone and everything being segregated. Small and Mighty had never heard the word segregation, so he wanted to know what it meant. He learned that the library was a storehouse of information and knowledge, but when he got there, he was turned away. The librarian told Small and Mighty that books in the town's library weren't for his kind. He left, slightly discouraged, but full of determination. Ma and Pa had told their children that there were places without segregation. A new hope and curiosity invigorated Small and Mighty. He had an uncle in New York, and he went to visit. New York was very, very very different from the farm. People there seemed to move and talk a lot faster. Small and Mighty could hardly keep up. They dressed differently, no dust on their clothes and faces from the dirt roads, and they were allowed to be a lot more freer. There were artists and dancers who seemed to flow to the beat of the city. Small and Mighty noticed a major key difference. He could sit where he preferred on the bus. He could drink at any water fountain, and he could check out any book he wanted at the library. Life was very different in New York than it was back home at the farm, and while Small and Mighty appreciated his time there, it just made him wonder why the rest of the world couldn't be the same. Small and Mighty was no longer Small anymore. He was 15 years old, and now he was just known as Mighty. Still using his big voice to speak to anyone who would listen, not only the gift of a moving sermon, but the knowledge of what a better world could be. He still attended church with Ma and Pa on Sundays, moved by the magnanimous voice of the preacher man. But now he was invited up on the pulpit to deliver his own words. His family was very proud. If only the chickens could see him now, they would cluck and praise. In addition to attending church and school, he would listen to an upcoming preacher man on the radio. The preacher man went by the name of Martin Luther King. Mighty knew from his library books that a different Martin Luther was just as pivotal and influential in his days. Like his namesake, Martin Luther of before was a theologian who wanted people to feel closer to God, so he translated the Bible into layman's terms. Martin Luther of Mighty's time was also moving people closer to God, where he encouraged people to live by the word and acknowledge that we were all one people. By the time Mighty turned 18, he had met Martin Luther of his day and followed him wherever he went. Mighty became a preacher man when he graduated from a seminary and then added on to his title by studying religion and philosophy at a university. He was empowered with knowledge, determination, and unwavering grace, never forgetting that life for some people in certain parts of this world was unfair. Mighty had a dream that the world would one day be equal for all people, despite the amount of melanin in their skin. As a young man, Mighty looked to Martin Luther King for guidance. Following a practice of ahimsa in peace, he organized peaceful sit-ins. He would sit at a local segregated lunch counter, which was oftentimes scary. The servers and the owners of the restaurants would refuse to offer them anything. Sometimes the customers of these restaurants would sneer, spit, curse, and oftentimes resort to acts of degradation in pouring drinks and food onto Mighty and his fellow students. But Mighty has always been determined, so he continued even despite the mistreatment, and he continued until the lunch counters were eventually fully integrated. Ma and Pa were often afraid for their son and advised him to stay out of trouble. They believed that things weren't going to change. But Mighty had the courage of 1,000 men. He referred to his troublemaking as good trouble, the kind that would shake up the status quo and bring about change. He wasn't going to be deterred by angry mobs and mistreatment. Mighty would continue his peaceful fight for equality over the next decade. And it was at the age of 25 that the entire nation would know his name for years to come. It was a spring day in March and Mighty had gone to the army surplus store to purchase a backpack. The next day, he was going to be leading a group of more than 500 people across a bridge in Alabama. This March, was to advocate for black people to vote in the Freedom Summer campaign. He grabbed a backpack because he thought like so many other times before that he and his peaceful marchers would be arrested. So he wanted to have a few books to read while he sat in jail. He also made sure to pack a toothbrush and toothpaste in case he had to stay longer. The following day was a Sunday and Mighty chose a trench coat to wear with his backpack for the march. He felt good about the day, determined as usual and confident in the march being organized and orderly. It was the highest point of the movement for him, as it was peaceful and it felt as if they would truly overcome the obstacles that existed for them as black people in the southern United States. Mighty led the march with 600 people from Brown Chapel A.M.E. Church to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. He walked calmly and confidently, with his hands in his trench coat pockets, and he approached a line of policemen at the end of the bridge. He was prepared to go to jail, as he had done many times before, but this time was different, very different. Today we refer to it as Bloody Sunday the police met Mighty and the peaceful marchers with brutal force. They were beaten with club sticks, struck with tear gas and chased. Mighty, unwavering in his grace, didn't react with violence, although he had the fear that he would surely perish on that bridge. He was taken aback by the behavior of law enforcement that day and suffered a fractured skull from the beating. The actions of that day were captured for the world to see with Mighty at the forefront, ascending him to the ranks of the big six leaders of the civil rights movement. Despite the emotional and physical scars, it was the leadership and grace of Mighty in addition to others present that day, which would lead to the Voting Rights Act. The act would allow the federal government oversight to examine election laws in states with a history of discrimination, like where our Mighty grew up, and others across the South during that time. Mighty's trench coat that day was almost like a shield of armor, ensuring that despite being knocked down, he would be given the ability to rise back up. And rise back up he did as he continued to devote his life to equality and justice for all. Our Mighty was a Pisces born in Alabama who came to rise as the conscience of Congress. He lived to see a great deal of milestones accomplished for equality for all marginalized people. He even lived to see the first Black president who gave him a Medal of Freedom for his commitment to ahimsa and liberty for everyone in the nation he served. The Medal of Freedom is a high honor bestowed onto those who have made exceptional contributions to the security and national interests of America, to world peace, or to cultural and other public and private endeavors. Mighty embodied all of these things, a pillar of courage, a man of strength, an embodiment of love and an example of understanding. He fought a very good fight and his name will live on forever. We thank you, John Lewis, for giving us your mighty life as a hero for all of us to follow for the rest of our days. Let this story be a testament to the fact that the journey is not linear. And although you might have a vision of what the outcome should and could look like, the journey to get there may not be one that you willingly choose to embark on, but allowing yourself to know that you have the same qualities of our mighty John Lewis. You can also act and behave with the same fierce determination, love, and peace to make the changes that you need for your life. Rather than seeing positive and beautiful qualities outside of yourself, you can start to turn your attention inward and know that you are blessed, you are loved, you are capable, and you are able. Namaste and good night.